Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When it comes to no-trade clause in sports, the main reason is for so, so, so teams can't trade somebody to anywhere. That's the number one reason, right? Because in sports, you know, you could wake up the next morning, you're gone somewhere else. That's the number one reason. I think the, the, the going back to your main question, though, you know, for me, uh, you know, I think what I'm really super passionate about, obviously, you know, my goal is to win more Super Bowls. And um, you know, my plan is to win them here. You know, it's, it's that simple. You know, I think that's uh, and so that that's, you know, there, there's nothing really else other than, other than that. I've, we've always thought we've, I'd always be here. And that's been always my goal is to, to win. I, I have said to you guys, win multiple Super Bowls and my plan is to be here and, and, and to do that, you know, and, and, you know, it's, you know, you take every day and you just enjoy the moment. Russell Wilson talking to reporters yesterday about his goal to win three more Super Bowls and his plan to stay in Seattle. Plans change. On the no trade clause, though, Peter, let's start right there before we get into what Russell Wilson's future is. I think a no trade clause for a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, is meaningless because you're not going to trade for a franchise quarterback who doesn't want to play for you. Carson Wentz, for example. I can't remember who else was in the mix for Carson Wentz, but you drop out. I think the Bears, the Bears. were the team that dropped out. Yeah, because yeah, he didn't want to go there. You don't want the guy who's the most important player on your roster, who you are counting on to show up early, stay late, study film, set the tone, hold teammates accountable, basically be a member of management among the employees. You don't want that guy to not want to be there. You just don't want that. So I think the no trade clause is irrelevant. The Seahawks aren't going to be able to dump Russell Wilson onto a team he doesn't want to go to because that team's not going to want him if they know that Russell Wilson doesn't want to be there. But regardless, the question is, does he want to be in Seattle? We know he's going to say all the right things. He may think something. Otherwise, his agent may say something differently. Crystal ball time. What is Russell Wilson's future? Is it in Seattle or is it elsewhere, Peter? I wish I had a clear crystal ball. I just don't. Um, you know, my gut feeling is that if Russell Wilson was unhappy after last season and glum, 
for whatever reason, either the long-term direction of the Seahawks or, uh, you know, just wanting a fresh start somewhere else, if that's the way he was last year. Uh, and we still don't know from Russell Wilson whether indeed that was the case. But, you know, it sure seemed like that was the case. And if it was the case last year, I don't know how his attitude could be improved or, you know, his anger assuaged after a whatever it's going to be, 6-11 and 11 or 7-10 and 10 season this year in Seattle, which would be clearly, easily, his worst year as a member of the Seahawks. And I've said it all along, you know, the Seahawks may have to decide, may, may, may have to decide whether they go forward into the future with Pete Carroll, who will be 71 next year, as the head coach, rebuilding on the fly, or with Russell Wilson as the quarterback next year. And if they pick Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson and his agent are steadfast that he wants to go, I would trust John Schneider to do a good job with his three first-round picks or whatever it is he gets. But you ask yourself, are three first-round picks worth the value of Russell Wilson over, say, the next eight years? Very, very rarely, very rarely uh, in, in NFL history do you see a quarterback who's traded for a bunch of draft picks and do you see the draft picks coming out on top? You know, but again, we'll see. The one X factor here to me is John Schneider. I think John Schneider is a top three general manager in this league. You can say whatever you want about, you know, Jamal Adams, and that was terrible value for Jamal Adams. I just say, look at the career in Seattle of John Schneider and look at his long-term hit rate in Seattle. And he's missed on a bunch. So has everyone. Ron Wolf once told me, if I bet 333, I'm happy. In other words, if I hit on one of every three draft choices and he becomes a good contributing NFL player, I'm happy. So you're going to fail. Why did Jimmy Johnson for years and years and years only want to stockpile picks? Because he knew he wasn't any more genius than anybody else. He was probably a little smarter than everybody else, but he wasn't a genius. He knew that he was going to fail on a bunch of picks. So, and Schneider is that way. But anyway, I think the Seahawks first have to determine, can we go forward with this triumvirate? Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, John Schneider, into what is going to be a tough next couple of years because your division is so good. Do you want to? Does Russell Wilson want to do that? And I think the next few weeks are going to speak volumes. It's hard to assess this from the Seahawks' perspective because current owner Jody Allen is every bit as mysterious as her late brother Paul was. We don't know what she thinks, what she wants, how she's going to assess the situation. There was a report from NFL Media a few weeks back that she's unhappy with where the team is, which shows that she's at least paying attention because she should be unhappy with where the team is. But from Russell Wilson's perspective, in my mind, there's a flowchart. There's a progression to all of this. And step one is whether or not Pete Carroll returns as the coach. Because I could see Russell Wilson having a very different viewpoint 
on whether or not he's happy staying put for another year, whether it's Pete Carroll or whether it's somebody else. And if it's not Pete Carroll, then the question is, who is it? Surely there's a coaching hire they could make that would cause Russell Wilson to say, I'm not going anywhere. Or a coaching hire they could make that would cause Russell Wilson to say, get me the hell out of here. And I don't know whether he'd stick around for another year of Pete Carroll. We kind of assume that if they keep Pete Carroll, they're going to lose Russell Wilson. In a weird sort of way, Peter, and I thought of this as you were talking earlier, from a fan perspective, it's worse to go 12-4 and and get bounced in the first round of the playoffs. It hurts more. It's more painful to you to see the other teams continue to pursue a championship than it is to know you're not getting to the playoffs at all. You can process that more easily. Now, is that the same for Russell Wilson, a season where he had the finger injury that caused him to miss more than a month, and when he came back, it was bothering him? It's kind of a lost season. Like, I'm not as angst-ridden, potentially, if I'm Russell Wilson by this year than I was last year, because last year I thought we had a pretty damn good team, and we get bounced by the Rams at home in the wild card round. What the hell's wrong? This year, it's easier for me to process it and deal with it and just say, crap happens, let's load up the cannon and do it next year. So I don't know. I'm not ready to say he definitely is going to want to move on and have the same feelings that he seemed to have last year. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they maybe they convince him and Jody Allen decides to keep Pete Carroll for one more year and they just load it all up and try it again and hope he doesn't bang his hand into Aaron Donald's helmet the first time they play the Rams next season. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that if I were them if, or if I would assume we're going back and we're going to be 12-5 and five next year. I'm not saying they, they wouldn't be, but something about this era right now, this period in Seahawks history, tells me this is a little bit of, of a line of demarcation this offseason. You know, they have to make some decisions. It's hard to make hard decisions, Mike. It really is. And that's why, in my opinion, I think, could they bring it, bring the, the band back together? Of course they could. Would they have a good chance to rebound next year? Absolutely. I just wonder if it's the best thing for the Seahawks for, say, the next five years, you know, to bring the band back together the way it is right now. And I think this is a, a perfect occasion for us to say, to the extent anyone in the NFL is paying attention, and there's a pretty good chance they aren't. But, Peter, there's a danger. In those first few weeks after a season ends and you gather distance and space from the season that went awry, it's very tempting to say, well, look, that game, if we just this would have happened, we'd have won that game. And then that game, we'd have won that game. And then this game, and we would have yes. been in the playoffs. And so, yeah, very. so you, you, you develop like a hubris that, hey, we get everybody healthy, and we're going to be able to do this again. Well, you overlook the fact that the same crazy stuff that affected you last year is going to affect you this year, and guys are going to get injured again. Everybody's going to show up, best shape of their life, ready to go, and what's going to happen? They're going to start playing games, and guys are going to get injured, and you're going to be in the same mess you were in. Um, so I think that has accounted for a lot of bad decisions by teams to stay the course when they otherwise should have made changes. I, I mean, you know, so many to every team – has two or three of those on their schedule. If you're the Patriots today, you're saying, man, if Sony Michelle doesn't fumble at the nine-yard line in the first game of the year, we don't lose by two points to, with three minutes to go. We don't lose by two points to Miami. We beat Miami. And everybody's got some of those games. I get it. 
but it's it's a fool's errand in my opinion to to do woulda coulda shoulda i mean every fired coach in the nfl every single one looks back on his tenure and said oh my god if we didn't fumble here if we did this if we did that but remember you were also the beneficiary of another team fumbling and another team stoinking a field goal off the upright. You, you, you know, so it goes, it, it always, always, always goes both ways. Mike, and this is a totally different subject that could be a two-hour show in and of itself. But that's why I rarely write about officiating. Because my whole view is that, you know, it, as much as people scream about officials, when they stink, they stink for both teams. That's not the justification for a blown call, okay? It isn't. I'm just saying that very rarely can you look at officiating and say every call or 85% of the calls are bad for Team X or Team Y. It just doesn't, doesn't work that way. And so my view is that, you know, things pretty much even out over the course of a game. Maybe not over, over the course of a game, but over the course of a season. And whether a call is bad is a matter of perspective. For the other team, it was a pretty damn good call. We'll take that call. And it balances out and evens out in the wash, as you've said, whether it's turnovers, bad calls, good calls, injuries, non-injuries, et cetera. Baker Mayfield, an injury in week two that he's responsible for because he decided to go make a tackle after throwing an interception. The left shoulder was messed up the entirety of the year. He played as long as he could. He's going to have surgery. Mary Kay Cabot has done some great reporting on Baker Mayfield, and she had something recently that suggested that if there aren't changes made to the offensive philosophy and if the relationship doesn't improve between Baker Mayfield and Coach Kevin Stefanski, Mayfield may want traded. Now, a couple of weeks ago, she had a much more thorough and revealing report, I think, as to all the things happening behind the scenes that have left Baker Mayfield irritated. A variety of things. It was very well done. There were six or seven different things because he's the one that came out and said... It's not just external noise. It's internal stuff that's been a problem this year. So he's been making it clear there are issues. Well, he didn't like what Mary Kay had to report most recently. He called it clickbait. Had a very aggressive tweet coming after her personally for doing her job. I don't know that that's a good idea for a guy that plans to be in Cleveland because she's been covering that team longer than he's been alive, I think. Um... Look, Peter, it's clear that there's dysfunction in Cleveland. Shocker. There's been dysfunction with that team even when they were a playoff team last year. But they got a decision to make. And I think this is funny that he would fight the argument that he may ask to be traded. That glosses over the fact that they may decide they want to trade him. Mike, I always think when uh, somebody, let's, let's take Mary Kay Cabot, for instance. Mary Kay Cabot has covered the Browns for, I'm just going to guess, 25 or 30 years. Um, she spent much of her adult life covering the Cleveland Browns. She's not either uh, getting fired tomorrow because she's not getting clicks on her stories, nor is she getting a raise tomorrow because she got 3,000 more clicks on this story than something else. It's the weirdest, dumbest thing that teams and players and, and sometimes coaches say about people in the media, okay? You know, 
the Cleveland Plain Dealer is one of the most established newspapers in the country. And although newspapers are dying, Cleveland.com, which is the foundation of that, and the, the internet presence of that, the digital presence, they're not going anywhere, and they'll be alive for a long time. So it's ridiculous to say that Mary Kay Cabot is motivated by trying to get more uh, people coming to the website to read her stories. It's just silly. Having said that, look, I don't know what the real story is. I do know that one of the most stunning things this year is that the Cleveland Browns did not make the playoffs and looked ugly a lot of time not making the playoffs. And it isn't just Baker Mayfield, although you know he did his best to keep the Browns out of the playoffs by the way he played down the stretch. But I will also say this, Mike. Kevin Stefanski, by the way he coached, and his play calling in Green Bay by not calling runs with a running down the stretch with a running game that had averaged 8.3 yards per carry to the point where you know they have a chance to get in position to win that game and to really boost their playoff chances i i simply you know there's not one person to blame here and so i think that they've got to straighten out that relationship obviously but I also think that just one person, Baker Mayfield, is not the only person to blame here. Oh, I, I agree with you. But the reality is the Browns need to take a step back given where they are in the relationship with Baker Mayfield and ask themselves the very difficult but pertinent question, do we continue this relationship and how do we continue? Do we do one year and see what happens after the fifth-year option expires? Do we extend his contract on a second-tier value that isn't anywhere close to the top of the market? Or do we just move on now? Do we find somebody to take on $18.8 million and take Baker Mayfield and we find somebody else? A lot of it depends upon who else they can get. Mike, I, I would just make this point about everybody who said, okay, and, and I've heard it. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of fans in Cleveland want to be done with it and, and everything, which is the emotional part of your brain speaking. And I'll tell you why, in my opinion, unless Baker Mayfield, you know, does one of these things and said, no, I am not coming back. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. I, I, I would absolutely unequivocally not get rid of him right now. His value is at its nadir. Uh, and $18.8 million for a quarterback who gives you a chance in 2022 is better in my opinion, than sitting there with the whatever pick they're going to have, 13, 14, I, I don't know. But taking a quarterback who you have no idea whether that quarterback is even going to make it. At his best, you've seen that Baker Mayfield can be and should be a long-term quarterback for your team. But he wasn't at his best almost all season. There's no way I'd sign him to an extension for a lot of money. There is a way that I would meet him in March after everything is settled down and say, listen, we would really like to have a, a total win-win scenario for 2022. You come back at $18.8 million, and if you play great, one of two things can happen. You know, you'll be able to go out and seek your fortune somewhere, or 
you'll sign here for 40 million a year. I mean, so to me, that is what I would do if I were the Browns. Unless I could get Russell Wilson to tie the two stories together. That yeah. would be intriguing. That would be intriguing. Could be. And Russell Wilson, born in Ohio, just like me. Probably the only thing we have in common, at least as it relates to athletic abilities. Let's take a break. Raiders Chargers preview, the final game of the regular season. You'll see it on NBC. We'll get you ready for it when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner... Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Yeah, this game, you know, like like I said before, like this is what a competitor would want, right? It's it's flexed even Sunday night. Sunday night, winner gets into the playoffs. Um, division game versus the Raiders. Chargers Raiders games are always, you know, really intense. Like I, I'm looking forward to running out of the stadium and just hearing the loudest boos I've ever heard because uh, I already know that's what it's going to be. <laughs> Um, and I'm looking forward to that that atmosphere of just being in the Raiders stadium of just the Raiders Charger game. Huge game on Sunday night. It's basically a playoff play-in game. There are some permutations that could make it less of a straight line, win and you're in, lose and you're out. In fact, there's one scenario where both teams get in if there's a tie, which would just be amazing if it came down to that. But... <laughs> Chargers at Raiders, John Madden's wife and family lighting the Al Davis torch that night, a lot of emotion, and the Raiders, after everything they've overcome with John Gruden's firing, resignation, whatever label properly applies, the Henry Ruggs situation, and just battling and fighting, it's amazing they're still alive. Beating the Colts in Indianapolis to set this up, Chargers have been very disappointing and very inconsistent. This could be a great, great game on Sunday night, and... Uh, I, I went back and forth and back and forth on it. I ultimately decided I think the Raiders, they, they, you can't do justice to everything you've gone through and endured and overcome if you don't finish the job on Sunday night at home in a stadium that will be as raucous as it's ever been, Peter. You know what's interesting about this game? And again, who knows how it's going to go? But you want to say 
that, oh, big advantage to the Raiders playing at home. Has home field in their two years been a big advantage? Not really. And, you know, so you think about that and you say, and again, in general, I'm not a big home field advantage in football anymore. Um, You know, I was at the Baltimore Rams game the other day, and I thought that M&T Bank Stadium with the Ravens' playoff chances on their last legs, I thought it would be a lot louder than it was. Really wasn't that loud. It did get loud at the end, no question about it. When Odell Beckham converted the fourth and five late in the game that gave the Rams life, uh, the, that play, when, they, when the Rams went to the line of scrimmage, that was really, really loud. That was Ray Lewis in the prime loud, but there really wasn't that much. And so I'm not convinced anymore that most stadiums give the home field advantage the way they used to. But having said that, you know, both of these teams, I could see either one of them winning by 14. I really could. But both of these teams have been so inconsistent. Uh, the Ra- the uh, Chargers a little more so down the stretch. I probably like the Raiders narrowly. Um, and And again, you would like to see the Chargers offense be a little bit more inconsistent and a little, you know, less mistake prone down the stretch. But I, I think it'll be I think it'll be a good game. Fourteen was the margin when they met way back in week four on Monday night. Remember the Chargers had the big lead, the Raiders started to come back, and that ultimately ended up being John Gruden's final game before everything hit the fan. On the following Friday, he coached one more game before it all came crashing down the day after that. And the one last point I want to make about home field advantage, as it relates to going on the road and dealing with noise, the Chargers deal with noise at home for the opposing team. They're never the home team. (laughs) They've got no advantage. So they've got no disadvantage. They're used to it. They're used to the noise wherever they go. All right, let's take a break. We'll take a rip through some of the big Week 18 matchups when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. People, I know you've had some back and forth with Aaron Donald. I don't know if that's friendly or not. Have you actually ever met Aaron Donald or talked to him? No, I haven't. Would you like to? Uh, I'm not pressed for a conversation. You know, I, I love Debo and his entire mindset every single week. Uh, I think Debo is different when he plays the Rams because, uh, you know, hey, there is a little bit of disrespect there. I think Debo's a hell of a football player and people should know who he is and what his name is. Um, I don't know if he takes, you know, uh, you know, if he tries to be a little bit extra on these game days versus the Rams or anything like that, but you can definitely feel his intensity. Um, and I think Debo's done a great job being consistent with that energy, you know, week in, week out this entire season. But um, I know that he's going to bring it and he's going to do everything in his entire ability to, you know, win this game. And I am looking forward to seeing a, a spicy Debo. Some great rivalries in the NFL, Rams and 49ers, a great rivalry as enhanced by the attitudes of the two best players, arguably on the 49ers, Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Nick Bosa may have something to say about that. We have things to say about some of the games from this weekend. It's time for today's speed round brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the National Football League. And let's start right there. You know, it's kind of hard to call it a rivalry if the Rams can't win five straight victories by the 49ers and 
Number six will be critically important because that's how the 49ers punch their ticket to the playoffs. The Rams need this win to nail down what would have been a very unexpected NFC West crown based upon the way the Cardinals got the season started. This is a potentially great game at SoFi Stadium, the eventual site of the Super Bowl, where the 49ers, if they get in, if they get in, they're good enough. They get hot for a few weeks. They could end up representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, Peter. I think it's really weird that the 49ers uh, enter Week 18 on a, on the edge of a cliff for the playoffs. You know, New Orleans is not as good as uh, San Francisco, but they win and the Niners lose, and both those things seem very possible. Obviously, the Saints are in and the Niners are not. And and look, I think the one thing that the Niners go into this week with, they think that, okay, we're going to watch Jimmy Garoppolo very closely at practice. And if he's healthy enough, he's going to play. And if he's not, we think we can win with Trey Lance. And I think that is what the last 20 minutes of that game last week did, Mike. So to me, I think that this is going to be a game of who wants it more. Do the Rams want it more because they desperately want at least one home playoff game in the playoffs? Uh, Or do the 49ers want it more because they desperately want to get to the playoffs? There's another reason for the Rams to want it more, Peter. You want to keep the 49ers the hell out of the playoffs. You don't want to cross paths with any division rival, especially not the 49ers in the postseason. That's the extra incentive. Yeah, we'd love to win the division. We'd love even more for the 49ers not to get a seat at the table. How many times have we seen it where two teams from the same division get together and the team with the lesser record. We saw it last year when Tampa Bay beat the Saints in New Orleans in the playoffs. The lesser team supposedly ends up winning the game. You don't want that if you're the Rams. Knock them out now. Get them out of the playoffs now because you don't want them knocking you out later. Yeah, and the Rams are pretty well set to be able to do that. They've won five in a row. I documented this week in my column that in the midst of having 33 players out with COVID, including when they played at Minnesota and lost their starting left tackle and their backup left tackle within three hours on Christmas morning just before they were going to get on the plane to go to Minnesota. And they've survived everything. So this is a team that right now has used about six of its nine lives. And they, you're right, they need to keep the Niners out of this, if only for very selfish reasons. And uh, amazingly, the Rams have won the last two games on the road despite some erratic performances from quarterback Matthew Stafford. That's a hallmark of a very good team. You can win games that it feels like you should have lost. It felt like they should have lost to the Vikings. It felt like they should have lost to the Ravens. They won both of those games. And that has to make them feel at some level, Peter, that if they can put it all together, they can be as dominant as anyone in the NFL right now. Well, Mike, Matthew Stafford has had three turnovers in each of the last two games, and they've won them both. And they've won them against desperate teams on their last playoff gasp. The Vikings uh, on December 26th, and then the the Ravens this past Sunday. 
So look, I am in the Sean McVay court on this. He was really a little bit ticked off when everybody was bringing up the Stafford uh, bad throws, uh, you know, in his turnovers at Baltimore. And his whole point was, how about the plays he made down the stretch when he's got to let all that stuff wash over him? And, and he did, and Stafford did that. And so I like the Rams right now. I like the Rams a lot right now because they haven't played their best and they've won five in a row against tremendous circumstances. 14 for 14 with Stafford in the second half of that game and the two midseason acquisitions, Vaughn Miller and Odo Beckham Jr. doing more and more every week for the Rams. Tennessee Titans at 11 and 5 on the brink of the number one seed in the AFC and they've got Derrick Henry back at practice. Wouldn't that be something if they could get the one seed, get a week off, and then here comes Derrick Henry for the divisional round against whoever the unlucky team would be that would have to go to Nashville and face them. But first, the Titans have to go to Houston and beat a dangerous Texans team that won at Tennessee earlier this year. There's been a few games for the Titans this year where you just scratch your head and say, what the hell is up with that team? And one of them was their loss at home to the Houston Texans. And, and I look at it this way. Hey, if you can't beat the Houston Texans in their building the last day of the regular season to nail down the one seed, then you don't deserve the number one seed. It's that simple. The yep. Titans, if, they, if they're worthy of the one seed, they'll finish the job against the Texans team that despite the spunk they've showed late in the season is still overmatched and not ready to beat a team that, that is worthy of the number one seed. Mike, you got to wonder what's going through Mike Vrabel's head about Derrick Henry right now, and here's why. You know, we, uh, I like Ryan Tannehill, uh, but the fact is he has had a C season. Uh, he's not been great. He's had some moments that clearly he's not going to be proud of when he looks back at this season. And the Tennessee Titans are 3-3 three and three in their last six games. So, you know, you just... It's not like they're barreling into the playoffs. You think, okay, 34-3 over Miami. That's great. And, and it was great. That was a really, really good performance. But look at their five games before that. And look at their offensive output in points. 13, 13, 20, 13, and 20. They hadn't scored more than 20 points in five straight games. And that's why, if I'm Mike Vrabel, I'm thinking, boy, it'd be great to give Derrick Henry two more weeks of work in trying to come back from this. But man, if he's even close to ready, we may have to take you know the bubble wrap off him this week. Yeah, uh, uh, amazing that he's even in a position to return at any point this year. But the Titans, uh, a sneaky, sneaky, strong contender to get to the Super Bowl, especially if Derrick Henry is ready to go in 100% when it's time to try to win those playoff games. Let's move on to the other two teams in the AFC South, the Colts at Jacksonville. The Jaguars are 2-14, and 14, but you know what? The Colts haven't won in Jacksonville since 20. 20- 14 last year first week of the season Gardner Minshew and company beat the Colts to go one and oh and then lose 15 in a row to finish one and 15 and they continued that losing streak into the next season until they beat the Dolphins over in London to get their first win of the year they've got one other win to go with that 
Colts, the same analysis is with the Titans. This is high-level stuff. Colts don't belong in the playoffs if they can't beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's it. Is your test. Agreed. Colts, you want to get in the playoffs, you go beat the Jaguars. If you can't beat the Jaguars in Jacksonville, when there's going to be clown suits in the stands because the fans are protesting the the decision to keep Trent Baalke as the GM, if you can't win then, then you don't want to be in the playoffs because you're going to get your butts kicked by a real playoff team the following week. You know, Mike, I, I'm i a little leery of... I mean, obviously, I think the Colts are going to win this game. Uh, but I'm a little leery of really jumping full go on the Colts bandwagon. I'm just leery of Carson Wentz. He just... He's not... He's, he's played, I'd say, through 12 games this year. I really like what I saw with Carson Wentz. Last few weeks... You know, including the game against New England where, you know, he really was, uh, they, they had the reins on him tight. He only threw the ball 12 times. And and I just, I'm really, I really wonder right now deep down what the Colts think they have in Wentz. And again, look, he comes off a damaged season in 2020 in Philly. So maybe, you know, maybe it's okay to have a, Let's just get back into it year this year. But I would hesitate to a team that really stacked the box in the playoffs against Jonathan Taylor. And maybe Joe Cullen and his Jacksonville defense will do it Sunday and say, okay, Carson Wentz, beat us. And so if, if I were Joe Cullen, that's what I would do on Sunday in Jacksonville, the defensive coordinator uh, of, of the Jaguars. And because I would want to see Carson Wentz beat me, not Jonathan Taylor. Yesterday, Colts linebacker Darius Leonard said that the practice in the week preceding the Raiders' loss wasn't focused. It was lackadaisical. This week, we're locked in. So they need to be locked in. This is it. You want to get to the playoffs? You win this game, and we see what will happen. Let's take a break. Show me something for the final week of the 2021 regular season when PFT Live continues right after this. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the NFL. Offensively as a whole, the way you guys have played the past five, six weeks now, um, is it any extra rewarding based on sort of the turbulence you had to face the, the way you've come through it now? Yeah, yeah, in a sense. I mean, we've, we've played good football these last few weeks. Um, I still think we can be better. Uh, I still think we've played great halves or great couple quarters. We haven't played that great full game yet. Um, so I think that will be something that we'll continue to work on. You want to be the best going into the playoffs. And I think offensively we've gotten better and better as the season's gone on. Um, and uh, we've we've played against a lot of different defenses, so we'll be ready for anything coming into this last week and into the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes, his Chiefs play the Broncos on Saturday, a doubleheader that includes Kansas City, Denver, and Cowboys at Eagles uh, before we get to the the rest of the slate that will be played on Sunday. Show me something for all of Week 18. Peter King, you're up. Uh, show me something, Derek Carr. The Las Vegas quarterback has not had a multiple touchdown pass game in his last seven games. He could be in a duel with uh, with a great deep thrower on Sunday because that's what I think the Los Angeles Chargers, that's the way I think they're going to try to win and try to play this game. 
in throwing the ball downfield. Uh, Derek Carr needs to go head-to-head this week with Justin Herbert, and he really needs to show the explosiveness of this passing game, even without Henry Ruggs. Show me something, Derek Carr. Show me something, Brandon Staley, a guy that was regarded as a Coach of the Year candidate early in the year, a Chargers team that for some had high expectations. They have yet to really fulfill them. Yes, they get into the playoffs with a win, but and and I don't want to get the analytics mafia after me early on a Friday morning. It's been a long week. It's going to be a long weekend, but... But this isn't the time to play the numbers for the sake of playing the numbers. This isn't the time to go for two just because the chart tells me to go for two or the analytics guru from MIT is whispering in my ear that the chart says go for two. This is about making good sound football decisions with one goal in mind, winning this game. That's the key. That's what the decision should be based on and nothing more. Not over the long haul. We're going to be more likely to convert, more likely to win, and more likely to skew. In our fa- no, this is one game, one night. Let's see what Brandon Staley can do as the first-year coach of the Chargers and lead them to a playoff victory or a playoff appearance, rather, that many uh, wouldn't have expected them to have in his first season. Round two. Show me something Carson Wentz. We discussed him a little bit earlier, Mike, but Carson Wentz is at an unfranchised quarterback type last month, limited to just 12 throws against the Patriots. Uh, and he was brought in to win games like this one. Even though people are going to laugh at the Jaguars, the Colts have had mega problems with the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is the time to put that in the rearview mirror. Carson Wentz was brought in to win. Win and you're in playoff-type games in the last week of the regular season. This is one of them. Show me something, Carson Wentz. Show me something. I'll go Josh Allen. Josh Allen was a trendy pick before the season to be the NFL MVP. And even though they beat the Falcons 29-15 to on Sunday, he had three interceptions. I want to see with the AFC East in their grasp, I want to see a 2020-style performance from Josh Allen. Not three interceptions. Now, he had two touchdown runs. That's good. And the running game is back. But I want to see a cleaner performance from Allen. I want to see a rollicking blowout of the Jets that they can then use as the launching pad to go into the playoffs, make some noise, and maybe surprise everyone and get to where many thought they would be when the season began. Remember, they were very dominant. They were the only dominant team in the first five weeks of the season. I want to see if the Bills can get back to that and put everyone on notice that they could be a major factor in the AFC playoff field. Let's take a break when we return. The final round of the Week 18 Show Me Something draft right here on Pro Football Talk Live. Show me something, draft final round as we head into week 18. Peter King, you're up. Show me something, Taysom Hill. And I hate to make this an all-quarterback trifecta this week, but think of Taysom Hill's job this week. He's got to beat Matt Ryan to give the Saints a chance to make the playoffs. And so, and I think the biggest opportunity he has to stake a claim to at least enter 2022 on even footing with whoever might be brought in to challenge for that job, whether Jameis Winston is brought back whenever he's going to be healthy enough 
or whoever is brought in to challenge for this job, Taysom Hill has to win this game and has to play well in this game to show Sean Payton, hey, I can be the guy you once thought of as the next Steve Young. Give me a shot, coach. Show me something, Taysom Hill. I like your trifecta. I, I, I like your trifecta almost as much as George Costanza liked his trifecta. Uh, the, the last one for me, Jimmy Garoppolo. Hey, Jimmy Garoppolo, looks like he's going to play with the thumb. Limited in practice each of the last two days. They want him. They trust him. He needs to prove that he's trustworthy. That game against the Titans a couple of weeks ago, and I know he had the thumb injury, but he played most of the game with it, and it didn't seem to dramatically change his performance. It was the same old Jimmy G. Bad throws at bad moments to kill the 49ers' chances. They should have won that game. They shouldn't need to win this weekend to get into the playoffs. They had that game won. Jimmy Garoppolo has been holding them back. This is his chance to push them forward into the playoffs. Show me something, Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, uh, Peter, we got 30 seconds to fill. Give me, a, give me an upset for this weekend. Who's your dog of the week? Uh, I like Miami over New England. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, I, I don't like Pittsburgh over Baltimore, though I'm fascinated by that game. Big Ben's not going to get the same reception in Baltimore that he got on Monday night in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.